To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Yo, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So today I have back on Travis Nowatney. Uh, Travis is a guy I really respect. Uh, Travis is just a diehard public land blue-collar bow hunter. Uh, works a full-time electrician's job, builds his own personal houses in his free time. The guy's always working, but the guy lives for bow hunting. He's really efficient with his time. Year after year, just consistently successful on all kinds of species. Uh, last year, he harvested three early season mule deer with his bow, all on big adventure hunts. Um, really cool. And then he just got done harvesting a giant chocolate black bear. And um, he harvested that giant chocolate during a general rifle season with his bow and arrow spot and stock. So the guy just speaks my language. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation and got a lot out of it. I know you guys are going to like it too. So we'll get right into the podcast. I just want to thank a couple sponsors real quick. I want to thank Zamberlin Boots. Zamberlin has built the best boots I have ever owned. So currently I'm using their their 320 Trail Light GTX. Uh, it seems like this boot was made for me. It's a single piece leather design, Vibram sole. It's lightweight. It's a low height. And, and it keeps my feet dry no matter if I got wet grass or snow or whatever the case um, and, and it's just a, it, it's a really good backpack hunting boot. It's a really good bow hunting boot as you can feel the ground underneath you. And I just, I prefer to wear these boots all the time now. I really like them. Um, I also use, they do have a tennis shoe model that all run on day hunts or lowland country. Uh, it's their 103 Hike Light RR. And they have different, like all our preferences are different. On, on stiffness of a boot, on height of the boot, the weight. So we all have our personal preferences, and Zamberlin has a bunch of different options for you guys. Uh, they also carry them in another one of our sponsors, Sportsman's Warehouse, where you can go in and you can try on these boots, walk around with them, uh, kick the toe, make sure that you're not going to get you know a stub toe in them or any sore spots in the heel or anything like that. Make sure they fit right. And they fit your preferences. And so it's really cool. You can go into Sportsman's Warehouse and check those out. So uh, make sure to check out Zamberlin if you're in the market for boots. I really believe they're making the best boots possible. The best boots available. Uh, so Zamberlin boots. I also want to thank Sportsman's Warehouse. Sportsman's Warehouse has a bunch of different stores across the United States. And they just have the, the best name brands in there. They have Sitka. They've got a great bow department, great rifle department. And they've they've trained these employees to to run each department, and these employees are are passionate, knowledgeable guys that that live for the department they're in. And I've got a buddy uh, Chase that runs the Fairbanks store up there, and I know he works really hard to make sure that store is managed correctly, just like all the stores. And so um, I use this Bozeman store a lot. Like I say, I can just go in and touch and feel what I want. I can look through it as far as glass. So I was in the market for a new tripod and stopped in there the other day. Um, also I can get, you know, archery supplies where I don't have to order them off the internet. I can go into the store and, and go grab them. They've got a great selection, camping, hunting, fishing, whatever it is you need. Sportsman's Warehouse has it. 
licenses uh, if you're traveling out of state or need to pick up something there. Um, so just a great store and a great sponsor. So thanks to Sportsman's Warehouse. If you guys are in need for any items for your camping, hunting, fishing, uh, make sure to stop by and check them out. And with that, um, yeah, over there at Eastman's, um, gosh, uh, Beyond the Grids have been coming out. Some great episodes there. I know Dan Bacar runs that. I have to get Dan Bacar back on the podcast. Uh, I love that guy. He's such a great bow hunter. And uh, I know we just got a couple months left uh, until until fall season starts up. So we're both getting pretty excited. So I'll connect with him, get him on the podcast. But he's just putting out some great Beyond the Grids here lately. Uh, and they've been releasing some of my old episodes that were on the Eastman's Hunting Journal TV that's on the Outdoor Channel. So best way to catch that is set your DVR. Um, they play multiple times a week, you know, and then uh, replay those episodes so you can see them. But I've just got some awesome hunts on there I'm really proud of. Um, some high country muley hunts in Nevada and in Idaho and then um, some elk hunts in Montana and then uh, – a really good one last year that I filmed, really good action and into bulls. You guys probably heard it on the podcast, but uh, you can check that out on on, uh, on Eastman's Hunting TV on the Outdoor Channel. Check out the Beyond the Grid. Uh, I do have that, that other podcast going. It's been going great. I've just been having some awesome conversations. So this week is a special one. I've got a two-parter I'm going to re- release with uh, with Brian Rosenberg. Guy's just so knowledgeable. Worked in the fly shop when I showed up in Ennis, Montana, and has just dedicated his life to to learning fly fishing in the rivers. So knowledgeable about the ecosystem and dry fly hatches, and so we just go in depth on a bunch of different theories and topics. He was out here at the house, and um, just a great podcast. But make sure to check it out. We're eleven episodes in. It's called Eastman's Flycast. It's a fly fishing specific podcast. Um, coming right into the season right now. I fished the Henry's Fork on Saturday. Just a great river. Um, so fun to get some dry fly action there. But I'm really having fun doing it. Going to try to make this podcast go. So if you guys are interested, uh, make, sur- make sure to search it on, on any podcast hosting site, uh, Eastman's Flycast. And with that, got my good buddy Dan Heverin coming down this week. He's going to be down Wednesday um into about the the final couple weeks here bear season and so dan's gonna go hard for a week or so and see if we can't uh, get him on a bear and get a good arrow in one so try to capture some of that for instagram and then i've been taking some videos here lately a bunch of good pictures so um, i'll be releasing that as well also get him on the podcast we've got a bunch of good hunts coming up i know dan's fired up always makes for a good podcast so uh, we'll sit down and record one of those as well So thanks, you guys, for the support. I appreciate it. Let's get right into this podcast. Travis Nowatney, this is Eastman's Elevated. I'm your host, Brian Barney. Here we go. That that work gets in the way of good recreating, but, you know, that being said, I love to work hard, too. Yep. Yeah, there's nothing more rewarding than working hard and being able to to do what you live for, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, um, should we get right into it? Sure, yeah. Man, heck of a bear season. Um, that bear you harvested was unreal. Got him with your bow. Yeah, just worked out. <laughs> Man, it looked like an awesome adventure. Uh, you, you went early, so you must have been a little bit lower elevation, and uh, looked like you put on a bunch of miles like had a real adventure sleeping in your tent and then saw that bear a long ways off, made a play for him. And then it looks like he got in close and put a perfect arrow at him. 
Yeah, pretty much exactly. So uh, I knew it was, I mean, it was early, just like you say. So uh, the plan was pretty much just kind of get close to where I thought they'd be denning, you know, all the rocky, craggy kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I'd kind of, I'd went in, my plan was to hunt for three days. And the first day I'd went in and uh, I there's, I, this is a new area that I hadn't hunted before. Um it's kind of uh, an area that uh, I Google Earth and uh, I've I've been near the area before, but not specifically in this spot. And uh, a big push for me to get there was just uh, there's a gnarly river crossing, and if you come like two to three weeks later, it's it's impassable. I mean, from uh, with my river skills anyway, you know, a little <laughs> little cheap raft, and it's just it's too dangerous. So. Uh, I, I initially, like I said, I wanted to come in on a three day bear hunt and, uh, the first day I kind of, uh, that was the start of my weekend. So I kind of slept in, in the morning, got, took care of some things and, uh, you know, eat, it seems like bear hunting is usually the best in the evening. So I'd kind of planned on putting all my time, my effort in the evening, getting there midday crossing and stuff. Well, I got there midday and I, I actually glassed up some bears. I glassed up one really big bear and I was super stoked. So. I, uh, I, I made a push to get, to get ac- across the river and another, a big storm came in and it was just super, super windy. And it's kind of in a, a burn area. So all these trees were falling like crazy. Like I, I videoed with my phone, these giant trees just falling and I like in the river and all kinds of stuff, there was all kinds of debris floating down the river. And I, I figured I would just kind of hunker down and wait it out, um, Anyway, I get all my stuff ready after after the storm had cleared and I got rained on and stuff. And uh, I get my pack and my bow and everything, and I, I throw it in the raft, and I get ready to go across, and that thing just goes flat as a pancake. Oh, no. And uh, pretty much ruined my plan for the day. So uh, fortunate, I mean, I was lucky. Uh, my buddy Rick had planned up coming up that evening, um, so I was able to text him, and he was able to bring a raft. So I was able to get right after it. Oh um, man, um, those rafts going flat. I had that happen on a big stock where I I dove off two thousand feet of elevation. I'm ready to cross and make the perfect play on this big bear on the other side, and I could not get that raft pumped up. And finally, after twenty minutes of fighting it, the seam was blown out. Yep, that's yeah. I just I I was just in a hurry to get across in that window after the storm after i mean i was freezing cold too because it rained like crazy and it was i could see that it was going to pass and i was like do i dare dig into my pack and get my rain jacket out for it to quit you know so i kind of just toughed it out a little bit and it i mean it i was freezing cold by the time it hit it had you know got blown out or whatever and i just got in a hurry and i went to drag that raft and it caught and just went flat just like that the, oh, the, funny, man. The, the funniest part is so my buddy rick was coming up and it at that point from the rest of the evening it was just raining like crazy and i was like well i'm not gonna cross the river in the dark it's it's just too dangerous for me you know i got a family and stuff it's just not worth it normally i'd risk it but as i get older i kind of i weigh my odds a little i try to be a little better about that kind of thing <laughs> we get smarter <laughs> as we get older right exactly so i decided that i would excuse me I decided I would just run home for the evening. I mean, it's an hour and a half drive, but it's better than sleeping in the rain, you know, in the pickup to not be able to go um, until it was daylight anyway. So I went home and I I grabbed a second raft and it's a good thing I did because when I came back the next day, wouldn't you know it, 
I uh, blew a hole in that raft too, so that raft went flat. <laughs> so I had to go back to my pickup and get the third raft to finally get across. So. Oh man, what a nightmare start of a trip. Like everything was battling against you as it usually is on these hunts. And then that soaking wet and in that burn, that gets super dangerous. Not the super wet and the burn. The super wet's dangerous and then the burn with falling trees is also super dangerous. But that had to be wild to be sitting back there during that big storm and those trees are crashing in the river like that. I mean, I've been in the middle of a burn when those trees start falling over and it's downright spooky. It, yeah, it was like I could, I literally was watching the tops of trees. Like, I mean, it was a, it was a huge gust of wind that was coming and you could hear it, but it was just breaking off the tops of the trees and they were falling, which actually is a good thing that that happened because. I don't know that I would have thought about making sure that when I set my tent for the night that there were no trees around. So it was kind of, you know, it was not that anything would have happened, but it definitely opened my eyes to to kind of watch my surroundings a little bit before I went and set my camp for the night. So yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, if that would if that thing would have hit later, you know, who knows? And those trees, I've been in the middle of the night too when I hear trees falling over in a storm. And it's so scary because you're laying in your tent and you can't see anything. And all of a sudden you hear the moan and the creak of a tree and you can hear it starting to fall, hit the branches. And you're just hoping that thing isn't near you or that close and then just crash down with a big boom and your heart's just pounding. So, yeah, uh, that was a good thing that at least the trees were blowing around or that storm came in in the daylight. So you were cognizant of it. Oh, yeah, definitely. uh Reminds me of of all your podcasts with you riding out lightning storms and just that fear, you know, that that electricity running through your veins, thinking that it could just smash your tent at any minute. So it's a primal fear, isn't it? When that stuff surges through you, it you get the adrenaline, and it's a primal fear to almost keep yourself safe. Um, it is, but you you don't get that every day. I guess maybe when you about get in a car wreck and your heart starts racing or something. <laughs> but riding out those storms in the backcountry. Man, I mean, um, you know, it's one thing to talk about, them, but like your story there, I mean, if I was there with you, yeah, I, I mean, that's a spooky situation, you know? I know you've been around a ton of those lightning storms, too. You did so well in Nevada last year. That place is electric. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we got one of those there, too. So <laughs> Yeah, it's it's part of the game, though, right? And it's, um, to you know, you talk about being, being smarter as you get older, and you do take less risk as far as you don't want to put yourself in a bad position. I think I go harder now than I did in my younger years. You know, I, I'm, I'm sharpened myself mentally, but I, I just didn't know as much or I wasn't, I didn't have as good a wood sense when I was younger and I was still all in. And so I made some bad decisions and really put myself in some high risk situations where nowadays I go really hard and I push really hard, but I make sure not to get myself in those dangerous situations, or at least I know how to handle them better. I think. Oh yeah, that that wisdom. It just uh, you still push hard, but yeah, you definitely weigh your options. So. Yep. Um. Man, amazing. So third raft finally get across the river, huh? Yeah, I finally get across, and it was still later than I wanted. It just seemed like everything was going against me. I should have known it was going to turn out to be a good hunt just because of this, how it was playing out. So, <laughs> I. Uh, <clears throat> I'd pushed across, and uh, there was this big saddle I wanted to get to, and and from there, uh, 
that would expose more of the canyon that I really wanted to focus on that I knew that, you know, nobody could glass and see bears from. Like, I was able to glass from a dirt road across the river, uh, like I saw bears the evening before. Once you get into that canyon, uh, you know, it's pretty much I, nobody's getting in there. So from there, uh, I, I was strictly going off of, uh, you know, what I could see at the mouth of the canyon and what I'd Google Earth and and I kind of really wanted to focus. It just looked like awesome denning. And I figured if I, I could find a nice bore uh, bedded in those crags somewhere, I'd be able to come in from above. And, and uh, especially if I picked them up in the middle of the day and I had time, you know, knowing that a, it's, it's early in the season and uh, there's limited grass. So they're really going to – it holds them to that area really good. I, I, I hear uh, a lot of people say that, they don't like early. Well, in Idaho, um, at least the stuff that I hunt, I think the best opportunity for a bow hunter is early because they're really honed in on those small grass patches near their denning, and you can catch up to them. When you glass that bear a couple miles away, um, for the most part, they're going to be there all day. They're not roaming like they do, you know, come the 1st of May and stuff around here. So That makes sense, Travis. <clears throat> but, uh yeah, that that was kind of my plan. And so the first night I, I got up on that ridge and I glassed, man, I glassed quite a few bears, I, I, a half a dozen bears or something like that, if I remember right. And they were all small bears, except there was two bears and they were way up the canyon. They were, you know, two, two and a half uh, miles up the canyon. They look like big bears, but it, it, that's a long ways to judge a bear. So, uh I didn't make any plays that night. I, none of the, the bears that I had seen, there was the South Cubs and, you know, some other bears. But I, I didn't think it was worth dropping all down there. It's not what I came in there for pretty much. So the second day, I figured midday I would move my camp. I'd glass the morning and I'd move my camp. And I glassed those same bears again. And there was actually a couple more bears that had popped up, smaller bears. Um, but midday i moved my camp i got about a mile closer to where if one of those bigger bears had come out i could make a play on them and while i was moving my camp i'd kind of got lower down in the canyon than i wanted to and i was going to lose my vantage um but i couldn't really camp up there because it was just a steep hillside so i i saw this low saddle on the ridge i was on and i dropped down and i set up my camp and i found a nice spot and I, it was like 1.30 in the afternoon, something like that, and my plan was just to get camp set, and then I would hike back up the opposite direction up the hill I just came down so I could keep my vantage and, and hopefully pick something up. Um, and I'd, I I hiked back up the canyon, and it was like it's 2 at this time, and the second I get down, I pull up my binos, and there's one of those big bears in one of the openings. And this canyon... The side that I was looking on, uh, it was all burned off, but the top of the canyon and everything else was just just deep snow. So the bears were kind of as high as they could be in the canyon, the bigger bears, without being in the snow. So it was really a perfect situation. Like I knew that they were going to come out, and and there was like four openings there, and then there was like walls of timber on that side. That was the unburned side. And – Anyway, as soon as that bear came out, I, I pretty much knew I was going to lose all advantage, so I pretty much had to just go all in, and uh, that that's what I did. I, I threw some stuff in my pack. I figured I was going to be back late and you know made sure I had enough 
after I dropped my camp and everything, enough snacks and stuff to get me through. So I, I dumped across and it, it took a long time to get across there. It was actually, it, it was further, it took me a lot longer to get there than I would have anticipated. So I got up on the other side and I kind of, uh, set up between these two burned off, uh, really kind of avalanche slides, you know, the openings where the grass was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was pretty much just waiting for them to make, you know, one of those bears to make the make an appearance so I could make a calculated play. You know, I'm kind of, once you lose your vantage, you lose everything. It's kind of, the ball's not in your court anymore. I think the same way. Yeah, spot on. So I get over there, I set up between the two two meadows, and I'm glassing, I'm glassing. And the wind was good. I had I'd pushed up uh, like uh, three small drainages uh, below where the bears were. I basically went straight across, crossed the creek and went straight up three quarters of the way up the mountain. Cause at that time the thermals were going up and I wanted to make sure that there was no chance that any of my scent could get up that canyon and I could push these bears out. So I figured I was going to do the work ahead of time and get up above them and everything was going to good, be good. And as the, as the evening progressed and the, the thermal switched, I might, you know, drop down or do whatever I had to do at that point. So I, uh, was just watching those meadows and nothing, nothing, nothing. I, I you know, I, and the wind had switched a couple times, and I was a little nervous about it. When you when you're dealing with bears, I mean, it, it's hard to say. Like a lot of times they'll just no show, and uh, you don't know if it's that little gust of wind or they they decided, you know, to hunker in or go into the next draw or whatever. So I was just pretty much, you know, playing playing the cards I had dealt, but. It didn't come out, and it was like 7 o'clock at this point. And I figured, you know, these bears, it one of those two bears should be out if they're going to be out by now. Like, it's late enough in the evening they should be out. So there was a couple more openings further up the canyon, and I was like, well, my wind's good now. It, it, it switched, and the thermals were kind of coming down the canyon. So I dropped a little lower, and I was just side-hilling up the canyon, and I was just my plan was just to check those openings and, uh, you know, make a plan from there. So I get to the, the, the next opening. And the second I get up there, I go, I pull up my binos and I glass down there. Bam. There's a big old boar, big old chocolate boar right there. Um, probably 120 yards away. So the situation was just perfect. I was right on this knife ridge that had these ponderosa trees on it and they were scattered in big rocky boulders and covered in pine needles and stuff. So I pitched my pack off real quick and uh, just got into my socks. That's all I had. So grabbed my bow. And uh, this bear was like right off the edge of this from these ponderosa trees. And there was like a uh, a big uh, little basin there, like a little, a little wash. And that bear was just kind of feeding right there, but he was feeding away. So, and there, there was a pretty good wind. So I pretty much, the wind was good. Uh, there wasn't any, I didn't have to worry about him hearing me too much. So I kind of lined up one of those ponderosa trees and I just quickly started going right off the top of that ridge, you know, just making headway as quick as I could before he got too far away from the cover, you know? And, uh, I was slipping my way through there and I picked up my rangefinder and I ranged him and he was like 72 yards. And I was like, man, I, j- I just got to get a little closer 
and, and I, I felt like I could do so pretty easily. Um, and he was just feeding away. There wasn't really any kind of shot opportunity anyway. So as soon as I start going, I slip and I reach my hand out to catch me on this boulder and, and I catch myself and I didn't make any noise. And I, I kind of thought I'd dodge a bullet and I picked my head up and that bear was looking at me. Oh no. <laughs> and so, and I'm like, Oh no. And sure enough, this bear just starts trotting the other direction. Like he trots like 20 yards and he looks back, you know, he, he saw me and it, he didn't do the typical thing where they just get out of town. Um, he, he trotted and he stopped and looked back and I was like, man, so I just hung tight for a second. And he loops over right to the edge of the next draw, and he stops for a second. And then he turns and goes right down to the bottom of the canyon, loops right below me, and then uh, just just slowly walks out into the next cut into the timber. And I'm just like – I'm just pissed because I'm like, I put all this effort into this. This was a slam-dunk opportunity. All I had to do was not get seen. Like the wind was good enough. My noise was covered. <laughs> it couldn't smell me, and I'm like – I. I you know, I knew it was in the bag. Like I was so confident that all I had to do was just get down there and, and get in place. And yeah, he, he picked me off and took off. So I sat there for a minute and I was just disgusted with myself. I'm like, how did you blow that opportunity? Nice bear, you know, the kind of bear I'm looking for. So I go back up to my pack. I throw my boots on and everything. And I kind of it, it dawned on me. I was like, why did that bear stop at that cut? Like he, he, I was like, I better go check the last cut. Like I kind of like was down for a second and I was like, you know what? I'm here. I need to go check the last cut and make sure that there's nothing in it. And so I, I dropped down right where that bear was and I followed his tracks right over to that edge. And soon as I pop up and look into the next draw, a bigger bear, hundred, hundred yards away, feeding right off the Creek, just feeding straight away perfect scenario like i i don't know i don't know how how it worked out like it did but i literally just blew it and here's my redemption right here <laughs> so it's just wild how it works sometimes isn't it, it oh i just you yeah. put yourself in the right places you know into those bare spots and there's not just one there's a bunch of them and so that that can happen you, you can just run into another one but how cool so he's working away from you down in the draw He's, he's working dead away from me. I actually pulled up my phone out of my pocket, made sure it was silence, and I snapped a picture of him as I was tailing him um, just so I had it, just in case I blew this one. But this time I went in with a little different mindset. I'm like, I slow down, take whatever time it needs to be take. You know what to do. You've done this before. You shouldn't have blown the last opportunity. Don't blow this one. So <laughs> I just slip it in right behind him and in no time. I, I didn't even have to take my boots off or anything because – he was a hundred yards off the creek at this time, and that like that creek was loud. I, I'm I'm kind of surprised that the bear put himself in this situation with the wind just right in my face, and I just started tailing the bear. And next thing you know, I'm 50 yards from the bear, and there's just a bunch of like these these uh, just just some small bushes that didn't have any leaves on them yet, and I could see the bear clear, but. Every time I pull my rangefinder and range him, I could range him, but I just looking through my rangefinder, I'm like, there's too much in the way between me and my arrow. I, I I can't shoot yet. I just need to keep tailing him. So I just keep getting closer and closer and closer. At one point, I was like 30 yards from the bear, and I just I just couldn't get a shot because of the brush in front of me. Just just these small sticks that were like oh four feet tall that just didn't have anything on them, but 
they, they were pretty good size, so I didn't want to risk blowing it. I knew that being patient was the thing to do. So I kind of just kept tailing them, and uh, the the draw had kind of ran out, and then there was like a big uh, boulder pile pretty much in front of them. And I ranged that boulder pile, and it was like 40 yards, and I figured if that bear came up out of the bushes, he's going to go on that boulder pile, and I'll get a shot and be 40 yards. And I had ranged to my right, which was basically the edge of the boulder pile above me where the grass and stuff was. And, and I kind of figured he'd go that way, but I'd ranged both and that was 38 yards. And, uh, the bear turns and, and starts feeding uphill. So it took a few minutes, but he finally gets up to where I want him to be. And he, he's kind of quartering to me a little bit and I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for my shot. I'm calm. I, I settled down. Everything was good. And the bear finally turns and gives me that slightly quartering away shot. And I just come to full draw and I, am not, uh, I don't have any adrenaline or anything. Everything's good. I'm calm. I'd had all that stock really helped me calm down, kind of get the jitters out of me. I settle my pin and just put a little pressure on that thing. And that arrow blows right through that bear. That bear turns and he bites at the arrow and he, he roars just like they do. And, he runs straight downhill, and as soon as he gets out of my sight, uh, I I mean, within 10 seconds, that bear starts death moaning. And at that time, I, I'd kind of cut up the draw. I was trotting behind him. I didn't want to lose sight of him. Uh, it, it just happened so quick. I just want to make sure I, I kept my eyes on him. And uh, I popped up on that rock where I could see him, and I could see who was done. And I was I was pretty pumped at that time. It, it It's pretty awesome when it all comes together. Oh, dude, it's the best. And on a big bear like that, it was a great big chocolate with a big head, too. It doesn't get any better. You know, we've been chasing big bears like that with our bow. At least I had, you know, and I know you have, too. Like, you just put years into it to kill a big, mature one like that. And this is as much of a trophy as anything else out there, you know. Um, what a cool springtime adventure. There's so much I want to touch on that, you know, not just about bear hunting, but that translates to the rest of, of hunting. I love how patient and calm and how you kept talking about, you know, calming yourself down and, and waiting for the right shot. It's just classic. Those bears never stop moving. They're always in brush, and you you just can't try to force an arrow into that, and you knew better. You didn't try to force an arrow in there because it shanks off those sticks, and it, it's just inevitable. And, and, you know, I'm sure – You've learned like I have the hard way. I've made that mistake, you know, a time or two in my bow hunting career, and you learn from it. You catalog it in your mind, and you just go, nope, you know, I know how to screw this up, and that's by trying to force a shot in there, or trying to force a shot at a bad angle. I mean, same thing on my bear, like the one I just harvested. I mean, it was five minutes of waiting as that thing's feeding 40 yards from me and just won't give me the right angle. Drew on him once, you're just waiting, and picks up his head one time and starts sniffing around you're just hoping you know i know the wind's right but you're just hoping i mean they can smell so good um but yeah really good job like all the way around like um i love glassing like you were talking about the far basin and the far hillside losing your vantage point where your camp was you, you were constantly talking about getting that vantage point and keeping that eye on that bear uh uh you live and die behind your glass don't you spot and stalk all the way hundred <laughs> percent me too man so. it's like it makes such sense to me when you're telling me that it's like if i can see him i can kill him but i don't want to lose sight and then you got on the same side as that bear 
and it's not about still hunting through where you think that bear is or still hunting in the timber. It's waiting on that meadow, waiting on that feature where you can see him when you're in striking distance. And same thing on a muley, on an elk. I mean, sure, if I know their exact bed, I can move in on them. But a lot of times, I'm just trying to pick them up again. I'm trying to relocate them. And and then, like, um, just just your instincts, too. Like, you've been doing it so long. So you know by about 7 o'clock, it's like, man, this bear should have shown himself. He He's not coming out. It, it isn't happening. And then to hunt yep. through those cuts and relocate them again in that secret cut that you really couldn't glass when you were on the same side unless you were in it. And so you just kind of still hunted over to it, glass down, and there he was, you know. And then um, – Man, yeah, uh, yeah, we make mistakes too on those bears or on any animals. Like uh, failure is a prerequisite, but man, it sure hurts when you mess one up like that. When you trip or when you make a noise or, you know, even the wind switches. You know, it's the one you want so much effort. But good job, like you've been you've been to the lowest lows before. You're like, uh, no, well, you know that happened. That sucks. Nothing else I can do but keep hunting. And so all of a sudden you just pick yourself up, and the best thing you can do is go look in the last cut and you talked yourself into it and then pick up even a bigger bear yet, man. It's just an incredible story. And there's just like so many little decisions you make in there that directly affect your success. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy how all those little things that you do that you play, right. That you don't, you don't necessarily always think about or break down or at least I don't like, like looking back when I blew that first bear out of there, I knew better. I should have killed that bear, and I knew better. Like even when I was going in, I knew I was going too fast. I knew I should have slowed down, and took the time that it needed. Make sure I didn't trip. Make sure I didn't get seen, and just play it out, and let it unfold instead of trying to force it. Because every single time I've ever tried to force it, it blows up in my face. And then then you're sitting there scratching your head, and you're trying. Then then you're 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 back to square one at that point. Yeah, absolutely. You um you do you have to know when to slow down and force yourself to slow down, but you know, also it's just good that you looked at the scenario, you know, and and came up with that like uh you could honestly look at that scenario and go, "Man, I was just moving too fast. I I should have been slower on that deal. I should have just moved more controlled, kept my eye on the bear. You know, I I lost my footing and spooked that bear." But you know, bow hunting, we don't get them back. The only thing you can do is, is do better on the next one. And sometimes that can be days later, you know, it was just, uh, you know, you were in a really good bear spot where they were coming out and usually where you see one bear, you see more. So, you know, it was just smart thinking to just keep checking spots and then found that one on that next cut. Yeah, exactly. It was, it, those last two cuts, I couldn't actually see from the vantage that I was at because they had kind of further up the canyon and they kind of wrapped around and I knew they were there and it just took me getting over there to realize to go check them. But it's, it's man, bear hunting is just, it's not easy. It's, it's funny how many times I've went into season with the same game plan. Like I know that it, it's, it's weird around here. Like I can go scout basically shed hunt, you know, like before bear season, you, you can like on the right winter, you find those big old boars out early in those tiny little grass patches. And then two weeks later when bear season's open, they're gone. So it, it's, it was nice to have a plan knowing that go in early, find them close to their denning sites where they're not moving a lot. And I could, I could close the distance. It seems like to me anyway, the hardest part 
about getting on bears is closing that gap. Like you can glass that bear from across the canyon. And as soon as you drop down and lose vantage, you lose everything. But if you could, if you could, if you could pick one up close to your vantage where you could get on them really quick and, and keep your eyes on them, you could probably close the deal. But just closing that gap just seems the hardest, the hardest part with bears. Man, it sure is. Yeah, uh, no, I've often said uh, bears spot and stalk with a bow and arrow. Uh, that's one of the toughest hunts in the lower 48. And just like you, you know, I've had seasons and I, I've made big goes after bears and I thought I had them where they where they were. But, you know, especially hunting them solo, like you had Rick coming in the next day, but hunting them solo, they're tough to keep track of. And, and a lot of times they're an hour, two hours out. But it's also smart of you to like uh, try to get within striking distance of those bears, get on the same side where you're close, where you can kill them if they come out. Um, but yeah, they're, they are a really tough animal uh, to be consistent on, um, but so fun to chase around. And eventually, um, you know, you, you pay your dues and you catch that bear right where he's supposed to be and you're able to make a play on them. And they are just, they're built for bow hunting. Um, but but they'll spook just like a whitetail will too. If they hear you, see you, smell you, they're out of there. Uh, but what a fun animal to hunt! What a great springtime adventure, right? Oh, there's nothing more thrilling than bears. So, it yeah, they're they're a great adventure, and it, it's perfect timing with you know the end, snow melting off, and it's it, time to get out and really stretch the legs and enjoy the sunshine and enjoy the whole process. So man, well, and you've got such a good attitude coming into these. It seems like the the longer we do it, the more we pay our dues, the more we kind of, you know, expect things to go wrong, expect to be a storm or the raft not to blow up. But you just, you know, you kept going out and back in and making it happen. That that mindset is huge. Um, Man, you had a heck of a season like all year last year. I remember you did three early season mule deer hunts. You did that hunt in Nevada early um, unit you'd never been in. Um, looks like you covered a bunch of miles, got away from people in there. Um, you, you seem to have a pretty good hunt plan that you've built for these things. You're talking about the bears and Google Earth and glassing from the bottom of the canyon. Um, you know, is it the same way on all your hunts? Do you try to come up with, you know, your your master plan for what you're going to do and backup plans? I do. I, I I put a lot of effort in being prepared for the hunt. A lot of emphasis in making sure everything's dialed in my backpack, every piece of gear, everything, just because uh, I feel like it gives me more confidence. Um, obviously, my Google Earth scouting, if I can be there ahead of time and put the, the the boots down early and cover country ahead of time, that's the most ideal. But, yeah, I, I always have a game plan for every hunt, um, and most of the time – like all my local stuff where it's within driving distance, I like to scout. So I like to show up day one knowing where everything beds, what every, the bucks in the country, what's going on, uh, rather than showing up on day one, which sometimes you got to do that. Like, especially like when I went and hunted Nevada, you know, it's pretty much you slot out your time and you come up with a game plan and you adapt according to what you see, you know, just like you. Yeah, exactly right. Um, yeah, no, that scouting is so key, isn't it? If you can make a trip and I know Nevada, you scouted as well, or at least looked at a couple spots and made the long drive over just to see the mountain range in the country and get a feel for it. It's so advantageous, 
like, like your local bucks. You were so dialed on your Idaho bucks, uh, you know, your spots that you have and glassing them in those summer months, turning up good bucks, trying to get your target bucks, and then really knowing where those bucks prefer and where they live and uh, where they like to feed and where they like to bed. It just makes them so much easier to turn up, you know, during season where you're not spinning your wheels. That that scouting is huge when you can when you can fit it in and and. You know, you also mentioned on your Nevada hunt, you had the days, you just had to go all in, so you hadn't scouted maybe the spot you were at or whatever, and and sometimes that's the case too. We're limited on time when you're blue collar. Sometimes you are just all in, and it's that ability to keep driving forward and to adapt. Like you mentioned that, like uh, how important is adapting on these hunts to being successful? I think it's everything. <laughs> Me too. Because. Uh, Nine times out of ten, especially if you don't have the ability to scout, it's not going to be exactly like you pictured it. But if you go out there with the mindset, like my Nevada hunt, like uh, a lot of my local hunts, I'll say, yeah, I want to kill the best buck I scouted or or whatever. On a hunt like that, I look at that as this is an adventure. I want to go there. I want to hunt. I want to get some stocks in. If I can, I want to kill. Obviously, I want to put stocks on the best bucks uh, that I turn up, but in the end, if the best buck is 155, 160 inch buck, and that's all the time I have to be able to put my energy in that, that being an adventure hunt, I'm happy with that. I mean, I'm all about the whole, the big picture. Nice. I love, I love, I love the game of bow hunting. It's not about a hundred percent about how big something is. You know, I, I want to hunt mature animals. It's fun to bow hunt, isn't it? It's just fun it, to make stocks is. and make plays. I love it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Bow hunting is is uh, gosh, there's just nothing like it. So no, nothing like it. So yeah, the the ability to adapt to the conditions you're given, uh, you just have to assess your situation constantly and how you can make it better and what your next move is. And you just you never let yourself give up. You've always got to come up with another plan, another place to look at until your days are all over. You know. Once it, you know, you, you, if you've got seven days, then eventually there is a stopping point. But yeah, that ability to adapt, you know, so many times I make a, a plan, like you say, and I spend so much time, uh, Google Earth and, and Onyx Maps and, um, you know, so much time just studying it on my computer and on my phone. And I almost know the mountain ranges by heart and the bold basins, but, you know, the, the bucks aren't always where I think. Like sometimes my plan's just good because it puts me in the right country and then I glass them up. You know, maybe a spot that I didn't see, or maybe I did call the basin they were at. But it, it's just like I don't look for one specific basin and say this is the one I'm going to kill my giant buck in. I look for really good features and features that connect to each other that I can link up vantage points, link up spots, and I'll say, okay, I want to cover this drainage, that drainage, that drainage, and then I'm going to move my camp from there, and then from there. I've got a drainage off east side and then maybe one off the back or something like that. But I'm always, you know, I'm coming up with 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 my plan is to cover country and to locate those bucks. And then once you get there, it's just assessing your situation. And sometimes you look at a basin and you think, gosh, I should really glass this tonight. You know, I saw a couple bucks in here. I may have missed one in here or something. Or you look at it at prime time and there's nothing there and you don't see anything from that vantage point and it's time to roll on. But, man, it's all about adapting to those conditions. Yeah, 100%. Uh, one thing that I, I think has really helped me, especially as I get older and my time is just more and more limited, you know, I've only got 
I, I have 80 hours of paid vacation, paid leave, you know, and then I've got, uh, I work a 410 schedule. So rather than throw all my eggs in one basket, I'm pretty fortunate to live out West. You know, if, if you live back East and you're traveling out here and you only have one time slot, that can definitely be tough. But I really, I really try to manage my days. Like, uh, I, I'll basically, I'll, I'll slot something out and say, you know, here I got this, uh, Nevada hunt, you know, I'm going to leave Friday as soon as I'm done out. Or, or Thursday night, as soon as I get off work, I'm going to drive through the night. I'm going to get there, and I'm going to have, take these my three normal days off, and then I'll take two vacation days, and I'll have those slotted, you know. And and that that's how I kind of adapt my plans from there uh, for the following weekend. If if I don't find success, you know, or if or if I'm lucky and I'm fortunate and I'm able to to harvest something early, I can come home and I can go back to work for a few days, and I can save those uh, vacation days for later in the season and I can get to the next hunt, which just planning my time, uh, you, you know, just not burning days, you know. Oh, it makes so much sense. Um, yeah, really managing your time off. Like you say, you work a full-time job and family and then side hustles all over the place. Like you're a busy man and your time is limited. It's one of the things I'm so impressed by too, Travis, is that you're you're able to be so successful in a short amount of time. And I just um, – it it uh, hits home with me because that's that's how I stood. That's me too. That, I'm the blue collar guy, and I get more time here in the last couple years, or able to take more time, which which is so nice. I always said if I if I have the time, I could kill the animals. But it's really tough to 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 produce and be consistently successful in those you know in the in the short windows of time. But you do a good job, like you say. You've got that three day weekend. And just adding a day to it, you got four days or you got five days. And really, I think I'm most effective in a three to five day hunt. Like that's me. Yeah, like yeah, I just have my mind right. I'm able to hunt hard. I'm able to push hard. But once it starts to go five to ten days, it's not that I'm not going to give it my all or I'm you know I'm not going to try to make it happen. But it, it starts wearing on me mentally, physically. Like everything starts to be a grind after that. To where five days, I am so fresh and can cover country like a madman yep. that I'm almost, I'm almost smarter to plan two trips, like even to Nevada that might take me seven or eight hours to get to, to to plan two separate trips because you have a month to hunt that tag and a lot of the pressure wanes after the first week and so man I you know I I think that's really important time management and we're all in different situations but we really need to look at that hard to make sure that we're being as effective as we can. Oh, I agree. Uh, my, my main hunting partner, Rick, he's in the same situation as me, you know, uh, full-time job, family, all that stuff. And we, we constantly go back and forth and it, it's the same thing, like using your time properly when, uh, your mind is right and you're, uh, you're just fresh and you're just in the game. You know, once you start getting six, seven days, which I'm all for that if you have the time. I, I put in as much time as I can if the time's there. But for me, my, my mind starts to wander a little bit. You know, I'm not as as hyper-focused. You know, I'm thinking, you know, man, I, I, how are my kids doing? And You know what I mean? I do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what's work doing? Gosh, I, did I call that guy back? Oh, I got six messages on me. But, like, stuff just starts adding up after those days. Now, I think that's well put. You're so hyper-focused. And the goal for me is to train hard enough, prepare myself, you know, do this enough years where I am that effective in those longer days. But that's just the truth of the matter, man, is like those three to five day windows, 
you know, sometimes killing like my my Montana public land bull, you know, that can also be the toughest hunt of the year. They're just high pressure around here. But I've always been a weekend warrior doing that. And I'm so effective, like being able to go home and take care of things. And, and like you said, at a day or two on the weekend and do three, four days as hard as I can hunt. And then I get to come back and not only do I get to take care of responsibilities or family or check in, I also like I get a whole week to theorize what went right and what went wrong, you know, theorize where I saw elk and where I think they are, where I'm going to go the next trip. So the next trip, I'm so fired up by the time I get there again that I that I hunt really effectively, man. So I, I think you're spot on with that one. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's a, a good approach for sure. Yeah. No, managing that time. And then, um, yeah, that's that's really cool that uh, you and Rick go back and forth. Rick's such a killer too. He's such a great guy there in Idaho. He kills some great some great animals as well. Uh, seems like you guys make a really good team. Oh, we do. I've I've learned a lot from him. Uh, he definitely inspires me. I've seen him kill more stuff, and it, it's just you know it's I. He's definitely inspired me to be a better hunter, and and uh, you know likewise. So we work really good together. So, uh, isn't it great when you have a good hunting partner that that you learn from and they're learning from you, but you're just sharing information and seeing what works and what goes right and what goes wrong. Yeah, I think that's everything. Like it sucks. Like <clears throat> the last couple of years, we haven't even hardly got to hunt together because we're just so busy with our schedules not lining up, you know. And you know. We don't say I go on a hunt and say I kill a buck. Um, well, he's still got a buck tag too. So, yeah, yeah, a lot of times I kill a buck while I got another tag. So I want to get to this hunt. So rather than burn days, you know, it's nice to, you know, we can go and we can hunt together and we can kind of commit. But we both know that like once he kills a buck, he's, he's on to the next hunt, you know, and he's conserving his days. So it works really good for us because we don't want to just, I mean, yeah, it's fun to hunt together, but we both have our own goals, and, and bone season's only so long, so he can hunt, he can kill a buck, and he can move on to his elk hunt or, or, or whatever, you know, it just really helps uh, having a like uh, the same mentality, pretty much. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, no, that's really cool. You you work it out between friends, you know, it sounds like you guys got a, a great working system, and it's... It's like really fun to share it with buddies and to have spots and to be talking. And even if you don't hunt with them all the time, um, you know, because schedules don't line up or you filled a tag or whatever, it's really nice to have a buddy that's self-sufficient too. Like uh, Rick's not calling you and guilt tripping you because you can't go out and help him glass or help him be in the mountains. Like it's the same thing with my buddies. It's self-sufficient and you just yep. trust in them even when you're teamed up. You know, if your buddy leaves camp and he doesn't show up that night, I, I'm not worried about him. I know he's got great wood sense. I know he wouldn't, you know, probably wouldn't do anything stupid. But, you know, what? I, like I know he's okay and I don't have to worry about his safety back there. I don't have to take care of him. He's self-sufficient. And same thing. If I, you know, need to leave a hunt or, you know, tag out on a bowl, you know, then, yeah, I, like you say, conserve days or I got to get home. A lot of times I like to help out for a couple days, but... Like you say, I can't burn a whole nother week of vacation. So help out for a couple yep. days, and I gotta go. You're on your own, and and uh, I like the buddies that are self sufficient that they can handle that, and then hunt as good solo as they can together. Yep, it's awesome. Yeah, so you can count on Rick 100%. Yeah, no, you guys are solid. And then, gosh, you had a heck of a season. Like you finished up Idaho home state. Uh, uh, man, you those 
Those early season muleys are not easy in Idaho, but um, you sure have a knack for it, finding those things, and you're able to get two tags there, right? Yep. Yeah, it's nice to to be uh, pretty close to a lot of good hunting opportunity, and being able to hunt over the counter is awesome, you know. Uh, a lot of our critters around here, our deer and elk, are pretty on point. You know, they know the pressure game, but yeah, just – being close, I'm able to scout, and in all the years that I've done it, I, I'm able to go back to places that I know hold bucks, and I can check in and kind of see what up and comers, and you know, I can kind of weed through my my uh, my spots that I've learned over the years, and it, it just it really helps, you know. As I get older, I have all that to fall back onto as as I'm exploring new stuff too. So yeah, that experience and just knowledge. I'm with you. You know, it's it's just those years start adding up and that knowledge starts adding up and finding all those new spots, you know, like uh, you, you never lose the old ones. And and if you have your timing down in those spots, like timing is more so with elk than than with deer, you know, is timing when the elk are in those spots. But God, that that knowledge is just key of the area. And, and uh, like I say, you've lived there for a long time and explored and bow hunted a lot of it and killed a lot of nice critters. Um, yep, it must be nice to, to be able to call on that information and, and, um, boy, you hardly even make it to the late season. I, I can't remember the last late season buck I saw you harvest. You, you really get it done and focus on that, that early season and do really well. Um, so, so you would say your key is just the knowledge over the years, the scouting you put in, and then you know where a lot of bucks are living come season. So you can put yourself on those vantage points and get stocks. Definitely. Uh, it's weird how, uh, I don't know if it's like this for you, but as I get older, it seems to be easier and easier, which I I don't know. It just, it seems to come together. And I think a lot of it is just, I love it. I love every aspect of it. Like it's all I think about. It's been my entire life since it's just, it's my everything, you know? And it just, it seems like I've been able to hone those skills over the years, you know, so hopefully it can continue to work out that way. And Travis, I think you're spot on, you know, when you, when you love it and put everything into it, uh, you're just going to do well at it. And, and those years start adding up. I'm with you when you live at 365 and all you think about, all you theorize about and have such a passion for it, you, you just, Eventually, you start doing well at it, and and as the years go on, yeah, I almost think, um, you know, as I get older, I'm more of a peak bow hunter now than I was five years ago or ten years ago. You know, maybe in my 20s, I I could rip, you know, I think I'm in better shape now than I was in my 20s, but I'm definitely a lot smarter and a lot more seasoned, and uh, I know what works and what to do. And after you kind of get that figured out, things just start to fall in place. And just like you, like you, you know. I don't know if you run 100% on your hunts, but you sure run dang close. You know, you're able to fill a lot of tags on a lot of nice critters, and that is so extremely tough to do. And I'm sure, like like me, you probably worked for years, and there's been tags that go unfilled and lessons learned, and uh, you just keep paying your dues. And then eventually it just starts – the pieces just fall into place, don't they? It does. It, it The biggest thing for me anymore is like – I. I want the adventure. I want to continue to hunt and that I'll, the only time I'm ever let down and the only time I've ever have been let down. And this was a lot of time in my younger years when I, I just, I kind of gave up. I, I threw in the towel, but ever since, uh, 
I was able to find consistent success, that consistent success has 100% came from the mentality of um, never give up 110% until the season's out. The season's over, and I don't end up punching my tag. That's fine. It doesn't bother me. You know, I, at least I gave it everything I had. I enjoyed the process, and it's still a great time to be able to get out there and, and, and give it your all. Like that's really what I'm looking for is the whole experience. So it couldn't be better said. No, you're spot on. That's why I love it too. Yep. You have to embrace the journey. You have to enjoy the whole process of it. And when you, when you do that, uh, you're going to do well at it, but man, it's just awesome. You got such an inventor's mind. I saw a social media, uh, well, I used your knife on my bear, but you have a, a new knife you came out with. I first, I say you have an inventor's mind because I used your stalkers for years. I still have them, and they still hold up, and they still go in my pack on hunts. Uh, so you had the stocking shoes that you created and made. Uh, man, what's it like trying to get all the licensing and get everything um, production on those things? It's got to be crazy just to put all those pieces together. I'm I'm, I'm just so amazed at what you've, you've done with these. So uh, stalker shoes, can guys still get those? Yeah, yeah, you can just uh... – I've run into a lot of material trouble with them just because I've switched to a different material that's I feel is the best. And it's just once you run out, it's a, a constant struggle. Like I'm, I'm on back order right now and I, I don't, I don't know when I'm going to get any more material. It kind of a pain, but, uh, yeah, you can still, uh, pick them up at rimrock.com. Just, just, Keep checking in, and they'll be back in stock. They're so but, uh, awesome and well-constructed. And then I just um, – well, the new launch, this thing just amazed me when it showed up. So talk about it a little bit. You've got a new knife, but it's not just a knife. It's like a, a multi-tool. Describe it for me. Yeah, so this is an idea I've had for a long time. I just – I finally just went for it, you know. Just like with my stock and shoes, it's an idea. That kind of uh, was more or less something I wanted for myself, and as I got it, done completed for myself i realized that hey maybe i should i should everybody should enjoy these so same thing with the knife it's just something i i'm constantly going through my pack i scrutinize every piece of gear in there and i'm constantly brainstorming like uh something that i could multi-purpose or multi-function and, and just uh or do away with you know and i just i'd had this idea about combining a knife and a uh making turning it into uh, having the capability of being able to use as an Allen wrench as well. Um, and I, I just, I finally just went for it, you know, and started the process of, you know, finding materials and, uh, figuring out what I needed to do to have it done and machined and, and kind of just the whole, uh, process with it. You know, it's been, it's been about a year now, um, going through it, uh, you know, finding the right materials and getting it to where, it's a hundred percent dialed, I feel like, but this is a, a basically a replacement blade knife handle. Uh, it accepts like a 68 scalpel blade or uh, a number 22, all the standard scalpel replacement blades. And I kind of went with that just because I thought that was the lightest style of knife to accomplish what I want. Like I love the idea of being able to just tear a new blade off when it's dull and pitch it to the side and throw a new one on. Um, and then uh, uh, I decided to go with titanium, obviously, because of its ultralight and strong properties. So 
Yeah, it's it's it turned out pretty awesome. It's got a in-handle storage, so you're able to store two bits in the handle, and they hold in place with two O-rings, two rubber O-rings. Um, and the idea of this is basically uh, you're able to pick and choose which bit you need for your uh, specific setup. So your sights, uh, your limb bolts, or maybe your rifle hunter, maybe you're going to pack a T25 uh, Torx bit, you know, just so if you're on a backpack hunt and say uh, it, something were to fail, you don't have to pack all your stuff up and leave. I mean, you can you can tighten your sights or whatever and get sighted back on it and, and be able to save your hunt, you know. Oh, it's such a great idea. Yeah, uh, I hate packing Allens. They're so heavy. It's uh, You just thought of it for me. Like a backpacker's mind where you're constantly, what can I use to multi-tool? So, yeah, you have those those Allens, and they're so small and light and fit in the knife and store in there. Man, it's a great idea. I know you're going to do well with it. Yeah, that, that was another cool thing. So I was able to uh, work through all the process of it, and I had a couple other guys uh, – testing it you know all the stuff that i'd cut was meat around the house and stuff like that um but killing that bear i was able to use it for the first time and i loved it like i'm pretty critical on my gear uh i did change the forend a little bit because the blade hung over a little bit and i i found that out while skinning you know a big old bear with a bunch of fat and stuff on it that the blade kind of caught on it so i modified that and i everything is dialed now just it, it brings peace of mind having the ability to just pull out an Allen bit and tighten uh, a tripod leg or, or whatever, just having all the tools I need to be self-sufficient in the backcountry. And that, that was kind of the idea behind this. Like I used to pack a big old bulky Allen set and I didn't like that because I just felt like, man, it's just one more thing I got to pack. I never use it anyway. Uh, you know, and half the time I just end up leaving it at, at home, but now I know that all I have to pack is these two Allen bits in the handle, and I can take the one other size that I need and keep in my kill kit, and I can get through anything. And another cool thing with this, uh, I decided I'd put a lanyard on it, and I actually used BCY24 uh, D-loop material as the lanyard. So again, uh, hitting on that multi-function um, being able to repair a broken D-loop in the field or, say, your uh, limb-driven fall-away rest cord was to break or, or fray or something like that, you can replace it. There's two feet of braided lanyard on your knife. Um, so, yeah, you can pretty much – you can replace a boot lace, anything like that. I just I just really wanted to be multi-purposed. So. <laughs> Made for bow hunters by a bow hunter. Like you say, you're so critical of your gear, so organized. You go through it with such a critical eye, you know. Um, man, it's such an inventor's mind. So, yeah, psyched for you. That thing's going to do really well. Um, what's up for adventures this year, Travis? Uh, Drawn any tags? Or I know you got your, your over-the-counter. That keeps you pretty busy there in Idaho. Yeah, that's that's always my go-to. Uh, looks like I struck out on Nevada. Um but I was able to pick up a, a general season Utah tag. So at least I'll be able to have uh, an early start to my season. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm really pumped for that. So good for you. Uh, we'll, we'll see what else the draws have 
Oh, we got a, me, so. we got a couple more left for sure, maybe a few more left. Oh man, it's such an exciting time of year, isn't it? Checking the draws and things, and just having your name and a bunch of hats and seeing what you pull. Uh, my good buddy Dan pulled a really good elk tag in Nevada, which is so sought after. Um, so, so yeah, Psyched he pulled that, and um, yeah, I did end up getting a Nevada muley tag this year. So yeah, pretty psyched about that. Uh, it's gonna be All a fun right year. Yeah. Oh, I just can't wait for fall. Right. Start the adventures. Um, I'm plotting and planning and spending my hours on the maps for sure right now and trying to get ready for scouting. Um, it's 365, isn't it, when you live the lifestyle? Oh, man, it's what it's what you work for. It's what you go to work and you, you hit it hard all day and you sacrifice all that time away from your family so that you can take care of everything that needs to be taken care of so that way you can just go live your own dream and, and really enjoy life, you know. I, uh, I definitely look up to you and uh, the, the podcast, just listen to your whole mindset about you've got one life to live um, and how you've, you've uh, kind of structured your whole career and your life to do, to live the best life you can live. And I just love that, that uh, principle. Oh, thanks so much, Travis. Well, uh, likewise, I really look up to you as well. Um, yeah, I'm just so impressed with what you're able to do and turn up in the mountains and just your mindset, the whole deal. Man, I just love talking to you. It's been too long since I've had you on the podcast, so I'm going to get you on again um, after your fall season when I when I see a couple of those big bucks hit my social media from you. Man, I sure hope so, but... I... <laughs> <laughs> it's never Definitely a given, right? Every year you got to start the process over. Uh, nothing knows that you've killed those bucks before. you got to go in every year with a fresh mind, right? Yep. Some years are a lot tougher than others, and some just seem to, to flow really well. So hopefully it's one of those those years that all the stars align, kind of like last year where it just all seems to fall into place. Yeah, well, I have no doubt. Uh, good to talk to you, man. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having it on, having me on. Uh, and if anybody's interested in any of those li- knives, uh, just you can check them out at uh, goatknives.com, or uh, if you could – Give them a follow at go underscore knives. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Um, that, your social media is great. And so, yep, I'll, I'll uh, say it on the intro and the ending as well. So thanks again, Travis. Yeah, I appreciate it. Take care, Brian. You too. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Super fun conversation with Travis. Uh, guys, go get her. Uh, just fun to go in depth. Um, hear about his bear hunt, his mule deer hunt, thought process. Uh, the guy's just a go-getter and um, gets it done with his bow. I've got a ton of respect for what he does, so uh, really fun to have him on the podcast. I um, want to thank our sponsors real quick. I want to thank Zamberlin Boots. Again, those boots that I'm using, they're the 320 Trail Light GTX. Just an awesome boot. So really liking those things. If you guys are in the market for new boots, I really think Zamberlin is making the best boots on the market. Uh, also, make sure to check out Sportsman's Warehouse. Uh, stores across the U.S. Uh, they're open for business. Uh, anything for camping, fishing, hunting, um, cooking, grilling, glassing—they got it. Uh, they just have everything for outdoorsmen there, where you can touch, feel it, try it on. They've got great brands like some of our sponsors, uh, Sitka, and they have Zamberlin boots there that you can try on. Uh, so just a great company, and we appreciate their support, Sportsman's Warehouse. And with that, um, man, I've been hitting it hard lately. I am so fired up for these hunts and for fall coming. 
just been working these trails like crazy, fitting it in day in, day out. It's long days, tired every night, falling asleep on the chair or in the couch just about 15 minutes after I sit down, about 8.30, 9 o'clock. But getting some great runs in, great elevation, just getting myself ready for these hunts. A ton of shooting, bunch of arrows day in, day out. Starting to really challenge myself. I got that that bow just absolutely dialed in. So, um, yeah, challenge myself, different shooting positions, you know, push-ups before, sprints back to the bow, shooting from my knees, shooting from one foot, uh, you name it. Uh, just trying to, to get myself ready, get my mind right for these hunts. Just some great adventures coming up the, for this fall. I just couldn't be more excited. So it's going to be a ride. I know you guys got some good hunts coming up. Man, just keep training hard for those things. Like the time to improve is right now. And uh, there's just nothing like having a, a fit body, you know, strong mind, confidence in your shooting. You come into one of those hunts, you just know that you're going to get it done and, and seize the moment or seize the opportunity. So cool. Gets me so fired up to bow hunt. But yeah, looking forward to that. Um, fishing's been good here. Like I say, made the Henry's Fork and... Um, trying to fit some of that in as well as I can. In fact, I think I'm going to get out this afternoon. So uh, get my work done here. i got to get a billing out and things, but I should have a little free time this afternoon. So go through a streamer somewhere and see if I can't connect with one. But um, super fun. Man, it's coming quick. But that's the podcast. Really fun with Travis Nowatney. Uh, make sure to check out everything we got going on over there at Eastman's, the magazine, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Eastman's Hunting Journal. Uh, we're coming up. We should be coming up on that backcountry issue. That should be a good one. Uh, make sure to check out Beyond the Grid, Internet TV show, uh, the Eastman's Hunting Journal. Uh, it's on the Outdoor Channel. Man, bunch going on. Wingman, yeah, Todd runs the Wingman. Todd Helms, he's such a good guy. I like Todd. I had him on the Fly Fishing Podcast. Well, then I, I released it to all you guys. But just a fun guy. I'm sure we'll get together fishing here before too long. But, um, yeah, just trying to get the most out of this life. Has Have as much fun as I can. I um, took took my, god, my daughter, uh, my oldest daughter. Um, she's been getting into golf lately with a couple of her friends. So went golfing with her. Sunday. I am just not a golfer. I just like, uh, uh, if it wasn't for my daughter, there's just no way you'd ever catch me anywhere close to a course. But I mean, I guess it's fun. It's a fun sport that challenges you. I just have so many other things I like to do, but you know, sometimes my girls just aren't into that for the day or want to go golfing or something. So it's my job as a dad to go with them and support them and go have fun. And so we had a good time the other morning, went out and did that. And, um, yeah, I've been getting the girls out fishing here as much as they can stand, and uh, we've been having a good time. So, all right, well, that's the podcast. Thanks, you guys. I appreciate it. Uh, I'll check in with you next week.